The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of the Highlander Podcast, we talk with Brian Kelly, a photographer, author, and archivist based out of New York State. We talk with him about his work photographing champion trees and old-growth forests, and his archival efforts to preserve National Parks brochures. Today, I'm joined by Brian Kelly. Um, Thanks for joining me uh, to talk a little bit about archiving um, and all the preservation work that you're doing um, as a part of our History of of Gear series that we've been doing um, recently. So thanks for joining. No problem. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, we, we'll, we'll put a, a timestamp on this, um, you know, right now going through the COVID crisis and, and you're in New York right now. Um, yeah. how are you holding up? How are things your way and kind of what's your situation I mean, right now? Everything's pretty good right now. I mean, I'm in upstate New York. Um, I'm located in a small town, probably about two and a half hours outside of New York. Um, so for me, it's kind of the same you know, just having to take extra precautions when going to the grocery store or not having friends over and just spending more time in nature now. Um, but definitely glad I'm not in New York City right at the moment. Right, right. Well, glad to hear that you're doing well and, and safe right now, especially. Um, you know, I, I didn't mention a couple of your titles right off the bat. Um, you know, professional photographer, archivist, author, anything I missed? uh that's it right now historian yeah hopefully more in the future yeah well you you're working on a lot of projects and all of them are really interesting so we'll you know we'll see how much we can pack in a short amount of time but maybe let's let's start with um kind of your professional career do you mind sharing a little bit about what you do professionally um and kind of how we'll get into how that's influenced some of these projects that you're working on yeah um i'm a professional photographer and from photography kind of stemmed um, archiving, which has now been, um, it's kind of transformed into more of like a profession. Um, From the archive projects that I've been able to do, I've been able to get two published books, um, New York City Transit Authority archive, which was um, over like almost 150 years of New York City Transit ephemera. And then also more recently in the last year, parks which is the last hundred year of national park maps and brochures. Yeah. Let's, let's get into that project uh, right off the bat. So working professionally doing what, what type of photography mostly? Well, commercial photography. Um, I mean, so when I first started doing photography, um, I aligned it with my passion at the time, which was skateboarding. So for mm-hmm. the first like 10 years, it was just like shooting skateboarding. I worked with um, this brand called Huff out of LA. 
And um, I did all of their lookbooks and still life photography. And then from that kind of got me more and more into still life photography. And um, that kind of became the main focus over the last like eight years was just doing still life work for companies like Nike, Adidas, um, Vans, Huff, and a couple others. And then, um, you know, on the side, you're always looking for personal projects, you know, because doing commercial work can only excite you so much. And that, that was really what got me into all of a sudden looking more into um, New York City transit. You know, I lived in Brooklyn for the last 13 years and riding the subway almost every day, I started to notice like different metro cards, and the changing of the maps, something that you only really see over time. Um, so then I just started collecting those, doing flat lays, and then being able to have these like grids of, you know, hundreds of different types of Metro cards, and then kept pushing that, kept pushing that, and then eventually, you know, had almost 3,000 pieces of New York City Transit ephemera, and then showed the guys over at Standards Manual that, and they were like, let's do a book of it. They already had a relationship with um, New York City Transit. So we got the AOK -okay from them to be able to use anything that was licensed officially through them. And then um, a couple of years later, we got into parks. Well, so, so the New York Transit started first. How do you, like, how do you even start to, to get into something <laughs> like this? You start as a collector, right? Just because you're interested in it. Did you ever I think mean, that it would turn into something that would be a part of your career or something that no like, not at all i mean i think i think i also got into it at a really interesting time within um social media you know it was, i got the new york city transit authority um instagram that i run it was probably only like a year to two years into instagram really kicking off mm. um so like it was the first time i think like you're able to have these like collections to be able to show them um, digitally and especially all in one place. Um, so it was a unique opportunity to like be able to like, you know, show, especially people that are like born and raised in New York or live in New York and that like love or hate the transit authority. It's, it's part of their, their, um, their lives every day. So like when you can show someone like, so like a subway ticket from 1930, they get kind of psyched on it. Um, so once the collection was growing and it got to a point where we had like thousands of pieces, you know, it was, it, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it was a hard, like, I don't know where it became like going from just like a hobby to an obsession, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which is always like a fine line with collecting or like starting archives. It's like, what, what like you have to be very clear on like what it is that you're collecting because right. it can get it like it, it can go so far like it can get so wide um you know even with parks that was something i had to like do pretty early on was like what exactly do i want to do with the national parks and then it was like just the maps that's something that our archive is kind of going through right now at the university. We we've talked about it previously, the outdoor recreation archive. It's what's the scope of the project? Cause if you just say mm -hmm. outdoor recreation, that's, super, that could be everything. Right. Um, so I think we're kind of going through that right now, trying to figure out what does that include? What does it not include? We're kind of on the fence. Does, does that include kind of the hook and bullet 
um, side of the industry mm-hmm. or not, you know, hunt and fish or, you know, or is it purely the mountaineering, climbing, hiking, camping crowd um, and brands? So, you know, it, it, uh, that scope is really important because um, yeah, if you yeah. don't have limits, you could just be, you could fill up that whole studio with, with items, right? That's what happened with um, New York City Transit. Um, I didn't have the clear vision at the time. So it was like I was getting subway employee uniforms. I was getting brochures, old subway like car pieces of metal that were like were like sad salvaged off of like a subway car, old signs, um, the tokens. You know, it would have been different if I just focused on like New York City subway brochures or just city uh, tickets. Right. Um, yeah. But it was it was super broad. And I learned my lesson from that. Yeah. And then that's when I got more focused in on just one thing with parks. How did you start finding items from, um, you know, New York Transit Authority? Where were a lot of these items coming from at the time? Um, well, when I first started, um, let's see, I was, shit, I might have only been like 22 at the time. So I, I just like, I was so broke and like, wasn't able to buy much. So it's just like going around the New York city subway stations and like finding Metro cards and finding old maps that like were like, basically people could like stuff things behind the ticket dispensing machines. So you would just find this like, you know, um, holy grail of like a hundred tickets that people had been stuffing in there throughout the years and nobody was cleaning. And that was, that was really early on. And then um, as soon as I started the, the NYCTA project, the Instagram, people actually ended up hitting me up and they would send me things. Mm. So I would, get, I would get things in the mail from people that they were just like, oh, I love what you're doing. Like my grandpa had this in his drawer, whatever, you know. Um, Subway employees used to hit me up and be like, yo, like this is sick. Like let me know if I can send you a patch because like every bus terminal has a patch that like is their logo and you really it's hard to get them and um people would send me those and then uh eventually i got into ebay and then that was when i got in and then that was game over then that's where all the yeah. Money. yeah yeah all the money i was making commercially through photography was going into that so we i, I talked with um a collector of vintage backpacks um mm-hmm. on a previous episode um and he said as soon as he discovered eBay that, you know, that's when it, it, it was game over. Um, but I, I asked him the question I'm going to ask you is how many alerts do you have on eBay for items that you're looking for? I don't have alerts set up. Oh, you don't? Wow. Because I don't want to know. <laughs> that's probably I, 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 I already look at eBay, like, in all honesty, like every day. Yeah. You know, whether it's just like real quick. Because I mean, nowadays, like, because I know like all my key keywords that I need mm-hmm. to look for. And then I can just like look at it quick. Like right before I go to bed, I'll just look for like national park brochures, national right. monument brochures, whatever. And then you can just sort by newly listed. And if there's nothing new, then I know what's up. Right. Right. So um, just kind of been on top of it. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, when, when did you start to, you know, you, you developed this interest, right. For, um, a lot of what you have in the collection is seemingly insignificant things, right? Most people, like you say, it's a ticket mm-hmm. stub, right? Um, yeah. You buy it, you throw it away. Um, 
you started to see the value or the beauty in these items, especially like in a larger, in the larger scheme, right? Like when Mm -hmm. you put them all together, that's where you really start to see the beauty. Like there's beauty in them individually, but together it's kind of, there's another level. Um, When did you start to see your work, not just as a hobby, but something even bigger than yourself? Like, oh, I'm an archivist. Like I'm helping preserve the world around me for others to appreciate. Yeah. um, I mean, I think with New York City Transit Authority or the New York City Transit Project, it kind of took a whole different life when I actually went to. So in New York, they actually have the New York City Transit Museum. Mm. And then I went to the museum and I'm like, I think I have a lot more stuff than they do. Wow. And I've actually been hit up from them for certain pieces. And I think that was when I started to see a little bit more value. Um, and then like, you know, like I said, like once you start getting more, like it's probably similar like with your guys archive right now, it's like, once you like have like over 500 maps and you like really lay it out, it's, it has more of like the wow factor of like, well, like this is actually a, a collection. And I think that's like, I think once you hit that point within anything you're collecting, it just becomes so much more impressive. You know, I guess you could kind of say that it's like, even with like the tree stuff, mm-hmm. it's like you show a photo of a tree, but then you show a whole collection of a tree or it's like you have like a photo of a tree, but then you like put someone next to it and you can see the scale yeah. and you're like, wow, that's a really big tree. But it's like kind of the same with like these maps or like any sort of collection where like you get to see uh, like, yeah, like the the size of it. Right. It's like, it's these objects, events, you know, people in, in the larger context, right? That's, yeah. Yeah. I think that's when things become really interesting. Um, yeah. You know, I, I need to attribute, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing with the Outdoor Recreation Archive to you. Um, I, I want to dive into this quite a bit. Um, yeah. But making archives accessible to people. We, we had the archive. It was up and running. Um, these materials are being preserved at the university and temperature and controlled environments by professionals. Um, So they're going to last a long time, generations, right? Paper has been around a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're planning on these catalogs and materials being around for, for years to come. Um, You know, there's a website where you can see the scanned covers um, in a pretty accessible format, but there's something about what you were doing um, where you were taking, you know, I first became acquainted with the national parks project um, mm-hmm. and how you were just taking simple, you know, flat lays of, of these, these materials and just putting them on Instagram, just a simple image. Um, but for some reason that one image is really striking. And then you look mm-hmm. at your feed and you see them all lined up in a grid. Um, and kind of like you said, it, it becomes really impressive to see that collection um, mm-hmm. How important was it for you to make materials accessible for people? You know, because um, you can, you know, materials are available in museums. You know, mm-hmm. lots of archives has have digital exhibits online, but for some reason, putting them on Instagram seems to break down a barrier that that exists. I mean, I think the biggest thing right now is you know we're we're looking at our phones more than our computers, especially right now. We're not people are spending more time just like in their own space. Um, and with, for me, with my still life background, you know, like the, 
the person I had that I did like an apprenticeship under for still life photography, he was like such like this like anal uh, organized person where like everything was had to be like precise and clean. And that kind of like broke off onto me where like I took that same initiative with this project. So like right from the start, I needed to find like a consistency, you know? And so I just found that having like a perfectly clean white background with like a little bit of a drop shadow was like not only the easiest thing to recreate time and time again, but it also just kind of looked the best. Um, you know, I wasn't trying to do creative photography. It was just like not trying to take anything away from these pieces themselves. Um, and then putting it on Instagram. And like, I think just like you said, it's like you get like five, six photos on Instagram, you get 10, all of a sudden you've like reached like 20, 30 posts on Instagram. And you're like, well, like, all right, it's like starting to feel like an archive. And I think with the NYCTA project, it was like within the first couple of months, because basically I had had the archive. I just didn't have a place to put it. So once I put it on Instagram, it definitely took a life of its own. And I don't know, just kind of became like a whole nother beast. Right. Well, let's get into kind of another project. You've, you've got so many and they're all really interesting <laughs> and really important. Um, I want to get into how you juggle them and, and work on all of them. Um, but how did you get into the national parks uh, maps? Where, when did that start? Um, and um, yeah, maybe get into that. When did you start recognizing yeah. those, those maps and start collecting them? Um, it was about six months to a year after we had first public, uh, published uh, New York City Transit Authority Objects, the first book that I'd done with Standards Manual. And I had met up with one of the um, publishers, you know, six months after that book had come out. And we were just like talking about next ideas. He's like, do you have anything? And, you know, that was like when I first got into Smokey the Bear. So he was like, oh, like, that's interesting. Like, you know, go, go down the rabbit hole of eBay and see what you can dig up the same way you did with New York City Transit Authority. And I did. And then I ran into the same problems that I had explained to you earlier with like licensing issues. Um, I went into the national parks. I was going into it with the idea of it already becoming a book. You know, like I, I'd, I've had the, the track record with the New York City Transit Authority project and the guys at Standards Manuals were like, what else you got? Like, let's do something else. So, you know, I wanted to find um, an agency like the Department of Interior and National Park Service, which is public domain. Um, so that way, you know, I can print anything that doesn't have the new Arrowhead logo. You can actually print for no licensing. Um, so it was like six months to like eight months after, and then I just went on eBay and took me a little bit to find like what the keywords were to like start finding and digging up a lot of these maps. And then um, the first one that I saw that was just like, you know, super like uh, clean Swiss style design that everybody loves. It was um, like a 19, it was 1966 or 67 Grand Canyon National Park map. And, and uh, I, I saw it and immediately just like took a screenshot, sent it to one of the publishers. And I was like, I think there's more of this. And he's like, all right, keep going. And um, probably about wired about 400 maps. 
and then showed them that collection and then they were like okay we're doing a book and then i like went deeper probably for like another uh four months and at that point i had close to like six or six hundred maps because then i just was able to like get more selective with what i was looking for um i actually have lost count <laughs> now how many maps i have but yeah it's up there for sure wow. Yeah. Um, and that, that was like the initial start to parks. And, but again, I think, um, when I got into it, I didn't know how deep I was going to go. You know, I, I wasn't, I didn't really know, I didn't know the history of the national parks that well. Mm. So it was through finding all these maps that I actually discovered a lot more of the national parks, Right. you know, um, from the founding of the department of the interior which the Department of Interior managed certain parks up until 1916 when the actual National Park Service was founded. And then since then, the development of the National Park. So really, the, the project maps just from 1916 to present, I think there might be like one or two things that were prior 1916. This ended up being published as a book. And I, that might have actually been how I came across you as I saw the Parks book and started digging into who did this, like who mm-hmm. came up mm-hmm. with this. This is beautiful, like incredible work. And, and I think I had archiving on the brain. And so it really jumped out to me. You know, what was the response to the book? I mean, it was awesome. <laughs> uh, we, we first announced the book and then announced with the announcement, we put pre-sales. And then within the first, um, I think in under a month, we completely sold out of 5,000 copies. Wow. That's yeah. Great. I mean, it was like, and we, we already did a second printing. I think of like, uh, can't remember the amount, but yeah. So it, it's been, it's already gone on second edition. That's great. Did, um, did you ever think that you would be <clears throat> an author of a book? I guess looking no. back at the start of your career, like how, how could you have known is that that was never an aspiration or no, I mean, if anything, it would have been maybe like a photo book, mm-hmm. you know, of like skateboarding photos at the time that I was doing more of not national park maps. You know, I, I, when I first got into photography, you know, archiving was not something I was thinking about at all. Right. And now it's like all I do. Right. Luckily, you know, but, Again, like, I don't know if what I'm doing would have as much um, of a voice if it weren't for Instagram. It's interesting, like archives are valuable, you know, in and of themselves because they preserve, you know, artifacts from the past so people can go back and refer to them, right? But we mentioned it a little earlier, but, you know, if they're not accessible to people, then, you know, what, what good are they in a way, right? If, if they're yeah. not where people are, and, and accessible yeah. to people, then, you know, kind of what's the point. And, and, you know, that's where we've found a lot of value out of Instagram is that's just where people's eyeballs are kind of like you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. And down the road, there'll be something else. And, you know, you and I will probably have to migrate some of our <laughs> archives to wherever people are, are looking, you know, and their attention is. Um, so, you well, know, that's, that's actually that's, the beauty with the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's time. You know, it's timeless in that point. It's also like, a, it's a form of um, like just giving it more like a tactile life. Right. You know, like these are, these are already printed objects that we made digital 
and then we were like it's almost like returning the favor back yeah. into this print this printed form that people can appreciate right yeah well you're really taking all these disparate things right that have been spread all over and you're, mm-hmm. you're consolidating them you're bringing them back together in a form where people you know they don't have to go through all the effort that you went through to search it out you're you're doing everyone a favor no. so yeah um can you talk through kind of the format of the book a little bit too was it a focus on the covers themselves in inside kind of a mix like what's kind of the the focus of the book itself um the focus of the book is definitely the covers um Mm -hmm. most of i guess you would want to like say like the um artistic style you know it's really featured on the covers because that's of course it's like what the person first sees so that's how you're going to like bring them in um and then it eventually, um, I would love to do another one that would show more of the insides because there are a lot of insides of the book that are beautiful. Um, but I think for consistency purposes with our first one, Parks, um, we just wanted to focus on just the covers and tell the story of that that uh, history of the, the development within technology that designers were um, accessible to, you know, having access to, to be able to like, I mean, like, think about like a computer. Mm-hmm. I mean, for how long did they were they making these without computers? Um, I mean, like some of my favorites, and I've talked about it before in other uh, times. But like uh, the first brochures and maps in 1916 are like some of my favorites because like the photos are just so beautiful. Um, so like one thing I always look at is with these maps is you actually have like what I like to, you know, call like a timeline of um, appreciation and uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. We're like basically like someone cares to make something beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like, I look at like the ones from 1916 till probably like the 30s. And they were like these beautiful black and white photographs, you know, super romanticized Ansel Adams things. And then eventually, like, I think like there was this like whatever development within design, but it wasn't good yet. So it was just like this like period of like aesthetically, like to me at least, bad design up until the late 50s. And then from the late 50s to like 1989, 90, it was like back to like amazing design. And now, you know, and like nowadays, like there's just like the, it's called the Unigrid system. That's what it's like. That's the design that Massimo Benelli's team came up with, the same people that did New York City Transit Authority's design. And um, for them, they were just trying to figure out how to make a design that was uniform across all of the national parks, as well as cut down on cost of production design companies and all the maps were all over the place there was no system in place so like the cost of printing was like super high so then they developed this which is the unigrid from 19 it's like 88 or 89 um to present of what they use as far as just a way to keep it all uniform um which is I totally understand that, but it's also like so sad. Right. There's, yeah. not, there's not much, there's no, there's no like real creative freedom. You know? And, and you know, that's, that 
is interesting because you have all the pieces, right? You can step back and look at this progression um, mm-hmm. of, of design over time. Um, that's that's you know one of the pieces that's so important about all of all of this work is being able to stick step back and look at it as a whole. Do you think that everyone can be an archivist or a historian? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's, I mean, it it all is, um, you know, your situation uh, financially, but. I think an archive, like whether it's you going to the store and collecting pasta boxes that you're buying, you know, it, it could be, I know that there's, there's people that there's an archive on Instagram that I love. It's fruit stickers. Hmm. It's stickers yeah. that come on fruit and it's like so good because all it is is like somebody just puts on a white piece of paper and takes a photo of it and puts it online. Yeah. So it's like, you know, these archives of what you want to create, it, it's all dependent on what you want to do. and how far you want to push it, you know? Right. Um, it seems like from my perspective, there's, you know, there is the, there's the New York <laughs> transit authority. Right. And, but you had more of a collection, right? Like, mm-hmm. I guess the, the point is, is, you know, some of these institutions have like limited bandwidth, right. And there's so many topics and so many items and so many things that can be collected. There's not enough institutions to do it. Right. So yeah, there's kind of a need for people like, like you, you know, people like me, to, to go out and do this work on our own. Right. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's just too much to do. Right. And, and yeah. everyone has their own area of interest. That's, you know, this niche area, um, that only they can do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, yeah, a- anyone can do it. And I think though, if you're able to like take, um, the initiative to like, just start something, it can potentially develop into, I mean, you know, hopefully one day that I can like donate my archive to a university or something, you know, because I can only do so much with it slash preserve it for my lifetime. Um, but yeah, I mean, it also depends on how far you want to take it. You know, it can be something that you become obsessed with or it can just be a hobby. Right. You yeah. know, I've, I've gone the extreme similar to you, but you know, you can have it be whatever you want. Right. I think that's great. And I think that that gives people options, right? You don't have to go all in and, yeah. and be the extremist and spend all your money um, and yeah. check eBay every day. But it, it you know, I, I think I the don't important recommend thing, it. Yeah. Um, you know, with that, um, I, I think what's really interesting about your work is your work is both preserving the past, um, you know, in, in these physical objects. Um, but you're also preserving the natural world in a really interesting way through the champion trees, uh, project. Do you, do you mind sharing a little bit about what that project is, how that came together? Um, yeah. Um, so the champion tree project started 2000, late 2016, kind of, that was like the birth of it, I guess. Um, I had just done a cross country trip with one of my friends and, you know, growing up on the East coast, I never had seen big trees and went out West and was up in the Olympic peninsula and saw old growth forest for the first time. And then after that trip, I was hooked on it. And during that trip, I also had, I had just finished up this book that was really inspiring called the golden spruce and um, coming back home, just, again kind of with my um personality of similar with the archiving i just was like 
every night just on Google looking up things and eventually found out about Champion Trees. And I found out about American Forest, which is the nonprofit that has been keeping this record of Champion Trees since 1940. Um, a little background, like a Champion Tree is nominated as the largest of its species through a point system. Um, so you measure the height of the tree, the circumference at breast height, and then also the crown spread, its longest um, branches, east, west, north, south, and divide that by four. And uh, anyways, that gives you a point. And that point is then um, compared to other people that have nominated similar species. And then you battle it out and then you get a champion tree. Um, so like, I think currently there's close to 800 champion trees in the United States spread all across. And um, so I'd spent the last two and a half years, kind of, um, working with American Forest, traveling around the country and documenting these champion trees for their archive. Because, you know, for me, I'd, I'd stumbled upon their website and was like, wow, you guys have so much information. There's so much data. But, you know, similar to what we were just talking about, if somebody really being able to invest time and their personal um, skill into something like this is a huge investment. So they, there was no way for them to have all these trees professionally shot. You know, which to me, that was like, it was so sad because like you have these trees that are like 600 years old and, you know, you got a cell phone photo that's representing them. And I thought that was just like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> this is insane. Um, so I hit them up and then uh, I was able to get the project privately funded. And so for two and a half years, I just lived part time on my van and photographed champion trees. How many trees did, how many trees during that trip or in, um, in total, so, I guess? So, so, so far I've been able to get close to 122 trees. Wow. Um, and now in the last, um, in the last little bit now, I've been able to um, try to refocus, you know, my efforts that I'm doing because um, I go to these areas to photograph the champion trees, you know, like for instance, when I was up in Logan, I went and photographed the Rocky mountain juniper, the Jardine juniper, which everybody in Logan probably knows about. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I was, you know, I'm walking through these forests that are like somewhat ancient or like there's other huge trees in the area or you get to an area and it's like beautiful landscape. And, you know, my main focus was just that one tree though and not the forest. And I thought, man, that's so silly. Like I'm traveling around the country going to like all these beautiful places and I'm not taking advantage of it. Mm. Um, so in the last six months, I've, I've really switched gears a little bit and um, I just uh, founded uh, the Gathering Growth Foundation. So Gathering Growth Foundation works to visually preserve these trees' legacies, trees and forests. Um, so we're looking to create this visual library or visual archive and educational platform where people can come and learn about all these trees. That's amazing. So yeah. Focusing past just champions. You know, I think that's, that's interesting because it goes back to, I mean, kind of your archival work with the New York Transit Authority, right? It's like, it's, you could overlook these small things like the tickets mm -hmm. and maybe look for, mm -hmm. I don't know what the champion tree of the New York Transit Authority would be, right? But you could look for yeah, one yeah. object, right? That's like mm -hmm. considered the most valuable and forget all the little things. 
um, kind of same thing with, with the forest in general, right? Like obviously <laughs> champion trees, incredible, right? Deserve to be documented, yeah. but, but you can be missing out on, on the larger forest, right? As you're walking to yeah. kind of like you said. Yeah. And you know, something that, you know, when I first got into this project, it was just like, Oh, like the big trees, that was all I was interested in. And I, I just didn't understand, um, what an old growth forest was or like what is considered an old tree you know when you think old trees you're like big trees but you could have um basically you can get like stunted growth trees that just have poor poor soil conditions but could be hundreds of years old thousands of years old but just small and i thought that's amazing too like and you know that's that's the biggest thing is like i'm pretty devoted and into this um this world now of like forestry and big trees and studying this, but like there's so much to learn that how can I like visually get people excited about trees just to like take an extra 10 seconds of consideration when they're walking on the street, looking at a tree. Is that, is that your main goal through the foundation? Is that what you want people to take away? Yeah, I think, um, I want somebody to be able to learn, um, you know, not to step on roots. I want, I want people to understand how sensitive a tree is. I mean, they're, they're pretty resilient, but like, you know, if you had a, a tree in New York City or in downtown Logan and people were walking constantly around the base of it, if it was like a park, right? Um, I have one of the best examples is a friend of mine that was, he's a arborist and there was a park in Southern Oregon that he he got called in to evaluate because all the trees were dying and he gets there and he's like well yeah look at the bottom of the trees and basically all of the soil around the bottom of the trees soil was compacted so it was basically dead soil and eventually that was impacting the tree and the root system and killing the tree and so he had like tell this city council to be like listen like you have to close this park down for the next like five years because all these trees the soil needs to like regenerate and everybody was like oh my god that's crazy are you serious like people love this park and they're like oh do they love the park or do they love the trees and that, that just comes from an educational thing you can't be mad at anybody but you just have to like try to inform people in like the best way possible about like the the mutual respect that you have to have for these things right in order to enjoy in order to enjoy them i think what you're doing is is amazing and it kind of goes back to like just taking for granted the world around us right like <laughs> the common tree that we see every day or the ticket stub and 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 some you know it's it's almost too bad that it really takes some you know it's it's good for you right like you need to be able to do this work um but in yeah. a way it's kind of sad that we need someone to like remind us and and like put this in perspective for us to appreciate yeah. what's around us but yeah i mean it's, it's um it's definitely it's rough it's a it's not an easy task and um just trying to find out ways to get people excited about trees and that's why like, you know initially with the champion tree thing it's it's pretty easy because everybody loves a big tree mm -hmm. or an old tree and you know just telling telling someone that it's a three thousand year old tree it also completely changes their perspective on it right you know, if you just saw a tree walking on the street, you'd be like, eh, okay. But if I was like, yo, that tree is like 600 years old, you'd be like, yeah, okay. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so cool. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that that's, I mean, you could look at it the same. That's kind of what my association was with archives is when you see an archive big, it'd be like if you had somebody come to Utah and like you pulled out the entire outdoor research or art, uh, recreation archive. Yeah. 2000 catalogs. Yeah. Yeah. Like somebody would be like, this is incredible. Right. Yeah. There, there's some like level there. Like you hit a certain number and it gains legitimacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, I, this wasn't planned, but this is like the perfect earth day conversation, right? Like you could, <laughs> you could pull out so many lessons or thoughts, right. You know, from a preservation yeah. conservation perspective, like what you're doing to like preserve, you know, archives, print materials, like translate so well to, what you, you know there's just a common thread between all of the work that you're doing and it's archiving preserving protecting um yeah. to give people greater perspective right yeah and and you know something that um with gathering growth foundation like something i just have to try to be sensitive to is that like i'm i'm not a preservation uh organization i'm not doing i'm not doing work like american forest that's going out and actually protecting these trees or putting laws into place or whatever um but the way i look at it is i'm visually preserving right um and i think that's just like a good it's a good like jump off point you know to get things mm-hmm. going to like get people initially excited about something yeah totally yeah so that, that that's kind of where we're at as like a mission statement right well that's great how do you how do you find the time to balance all these projects? I mean, some you've kind of closed the book on in a way, mm-hmm. um, or mm-hmm. turned eBay alerts off, right? So, yeah, like you in in some ways, some of these projects are you know may, maybe not cr- like currently active, but um, how do you juggle all these projects? I, I imagine you've got a couple more that you're looking at down the pipeline as well. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, luckily between. Uh, with the champion tree project now turning into gathering growth um that project is slightly funded through again private donors um so between that type of money that i get in as well as um whenever i can make some money off of commercial work i've been able to get um a part-time assistant project manager and she is amazing so she just like helps all the organization that goes into it, you know, I'm basically on eBay and I'm buying these things and then they get shipped over to the studio in Brooklyn and then she organizes and catalogs things for me. And then I post and it's just this like, now it's, I think that was the hardest thing is now the whole thing between trees, maps, transit, and my personal photography, it's now just becoming like more of like this machine Mm -hmm. and it's able to run and not be as like, it's still stressful from time to time. So, you know, always trying to find, you know, as any business is more money, <laughs> but um, yeah, now it's, it's, it, it's, it's running a little smoothly. Yeah. Um, that's, that's so great. hopefully I can continue. I mean, that's our biggest thing right now is um, with gathering growth. Now um, we can now actually accept donations through our fiscal sponsor. So now it's, uh, it's able to help with um, keeping this project, keeping the project going. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, do you, you don't have to give any of this away, but do you have any other archives that you're 
looking at right now or gathering at the moment, or are you um, just kind of focusing entirely on what you're, what you've got right now? I've kind of just been focusing a lot on, um, the tree stuff, uh, mm-hmm. gathering growth. Um, it's so incredibly dense, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this is probably this project, um, is probably what I'll be doing for the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, initially when I first started it, when it was just going to be focused on champion trees, I was going to give myself 10 years. And the quick math on it was like, there was like, at the time there was like 795 champion trees. I was like, Oh, okay. Like 10 years. So like 10 times 365 days, roughly like, so 3,650 divided by 795 meant that I had to find a tree every four and a half days for the next 10 days or 10 years. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to kill myself and not have a relationship if I do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've had to slow down and, um, to that extent, it's also like, you know, it's a life project. Yeah. So, and I, and I just think it's in, you know, similar to like, uh, the stuff that you're doing and the maps, it's, it's, it's a part of history and I just like it to be a consistent body of work too. So probably won't stop. And because of that, other projects might, uh, fall off a little bit, but totally okay with that. I think right. they've, they've, they've had a life of their own enough where like having the, the two books published is, is pretty satisfying. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I guess before we kind of wrap up any other thoughts, anything that we left off or, um, didn't cover that you want to share? Um, I guess, uh, one little promotional piece for you guys is on Friday, Earth Day or, uh, Arbor Day. Um, we will be publishing with Outside Magazine, the, um, short film that we just got done finishing making. It's, um, about this big tree hunter. His name's Carl Casey, and it's telling his story of finding the world's largest known pine tree. Wow. Um, so pretty excited about that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, we'll so, definitely, we'll promote that one for sure and include links to, to everything um, in the description yeah. so people can find that and, and definitely promote Sweet. that. That sounds incredible. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a pretty crazy story. No, that's, well, it's, can't it's, wait. As far as tree stuff goes. Yeah. No, that's, hey, tree stuff is, is you know, as we know, and from this conversation, really exciting. Like what you're working yeah, on is amazing. Um, is. How's the best way for, you know, I'm going to include all these in the links, but best ways to stay in touch with you. Yeah. On social media, I'll is Brian Kelly photo. And then for the tree project, it is just at gathering growth and um, gatheringgrowth.com. And then you can also, if you want, if you're interested in the national park maps to see that archive, you can go to NPS underscore maps and then, or maybe it's just NPS maps, no underscore. Yeah. And then there's the, the NYCTA project. I'll, I'll link to all those projects so people can find all that. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time. Thanks for what you've done to influence our archive. Like you've helped take it to the next level visually. Um, and just, you know, all the projects that you're working on, so important. Um, and I appreciate you just taking time to share a little bit about them. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found. On highlandermag.com, 
and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.